Welcome back to the Mobile Home Investing Lessons Podcast with your host, John Fedro. Tune in weekly, plus listen to past episodes designed to make you money, save you time, and give you confidence as an active mobile home investor. Now, here's your host, John Fedro. All right, all right. Welcome back. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This is episode 16 of the Mobile Home Investing Lessons Podcast. I have my co-host, Dave Maurice. Dame Reese, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm excited. Oh, this is going to be cool. I really like this topic. This actually gets into kind of the nitty-gritty of this business. I learned this very quickly after investing in my first mobile home. Like that's that's how quick that that lesson. Like I nobody taught me yeah. this. I had to learn this by default. <laughs> so, uh what we're going to be talking about here today is acting like you belong, acting like you work with a small to medium small investment company or you have partners or you have bosses, something to where you're not the the person in charge. Um, so yes. I know I have personally a couple uh, like quick uh, stories I could tell about this for sure, um, but please, like, how does this relate to your business? You've been investing now for um, about a year. Um, so talk to yes. us a little bit about that. Um, I know you have a number of deals in, in your portfolio. So yeah, kind of go go about um, talking how the how this positioning of yourself has helped, um, and then also maybe how it's how it's hurt you. Yeah. So I know at the beginning it's just <clears throat> really exciting to tell everybody you know that you're your own boss and that you run your own business and that you know you're an investor and all that. And I think that's great to be able to talk about that to your friends, to your family, to other coworkers. But I learned very quickly that it is a big mistake with your, even your potential tenant buyers, your current tenant buyers, past tenant buyers, anybody. It's I've learned very quickly that the less importance you give yourself, the better off you are because you can delegate a lot of the difficult decisions and questions to an imaginary manager, an imaginary corporate office, an imaginary boss, and that way you don't look like the, the bad guy. You can be the good guy when it's convenient, and you can be the bad guy, or you can avoid being the bad guy when it's not convenient. You can go blame it on some imaginary person or office. And I learned that very quickly with just my second deal, um, when I, you know, was very proud of my business and saying that I was, you know, the manager and or the owner, and I'm still dealing with a lot of the issues that could have been avoided had I just started with this concept from the get-go with them. You mentioned the, you mentioned the uh, this imaginary company, and sometimes it is imaginary. Um, and in the beginning of my career, um, I had. Well, they were sort of mentors. I had, you know, people that I looked up to, people that I bounced questions off of. So in reality, although we weren't partners or we weren't even a company, and I certainly didn't work for a company at the time, um, you know, I felt like I did have somebody else that I could bounce questions off of. And I, everyone that's listening to our voices, you really should have that. I mean, being solo in a brand new industry or niche, uh, real estate investing that you don't know anything about it's very valuable to have that partner or that boss or somebody, um, you know, even to just for the simple answer when somebody asks you a question, whether it be a buyer, uh, which we were, which you were talking about, Dame Maurice, working with your tenant buyers or a seller, you know, they ask, they ask you a question and you just don't know the answer to it. Like you just don't know. Well, instead of coming off, you know, sounding 
it wouldn't be stupid, but maybe ignorant or like not that experienced, you can say, well, you know what? You know, I'm sort of the low person on the totem pole. That's a really good question. Tell you what, let me make a quick call here or in 24 hours, I'll give you a call back and I'll have an answer for you. So, you know, it's just kind of a blanket like, you know, I don't know this, but my partner definitely does. So I'll eventually find out the answer for you. Um, yes. The Now, uh, can you give a specific example um, of the working with that first uh, tenant buyer of how, you know, they've asked you for something and maybe you've cringed or you've, you've caved where if you had that quote unquote partner, you could be the good cop, they could be the bad cop. Um, but could you give an, uh, us an example of kind of one time where you yes. like, cave, so to speak? It's not, for me, it's not even one time. It's every single month because they're, I just went back to their history. They've been with me for a year now and they have been late or paid part part of it every single month. They have been they have not paid the full amount or or just been late. And I think it's really because they, they're like, Oh, it's just her, what can she do? You know, and because I failed to say and even now I try and mitigate and say, Oh, you know, the company, the bosses, but I think it's just too late at this point. They've already made up their mind in their head that it's just me and they're like, what is she going to do? You know, she's just one person. Like I can pay her late. It's not a big deal. She's making a lot of money anyways. I think it's their mentality. So I am still struggling with that every single month. And yeah. And I mean, anytime they just, they don't pay any of the late fees anymore. And it's just kind of a hot mess. Take so I, that's, that's my learning experience for sure. So I don't know if it's human nature, but I know this was for myself, even really up to like three or four years ago, I had trouble saying no. No to people, no to friends, family deals, or no to like business opportunities. You know, I just, I had a problem saying no. I wanted to people please. So I think maybe that's a yeah. lot of people. And we just, the, the especially working with tenant buyers where even working with sellers sometimes, I mean, if you give an inch, some people take a foot. And I would even go so far to say more than some. Yeah. And the the people that we we deal with, um, after this podcast, let's, let's go ahead and talk you and I, um, cause I'll go ahead and hop on the phone with you, um, to be your, um, to be your partner. So we can, we can talk to these people and maybe even reframe it, say that you're now out of the business and you know, you've sold it or something and we'll, we'll figure out how to deal with that. Definitely not too late to go ahead and do that. And it's, 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 it's so I, I like how you touched on it where even like kind of now you're might be a little bit, you know, too little, too late, but you're kind of referencing people or you're saying we instead of I or us instead of me, you know, just to kind of allude to the fact that there is this kind of bigger person monster corporation, you know, behind behind yeah. the scenes um, that that comes down to. And you already know this because, you know, you're with the program, but from the very first phone call that you talk to people. Um, from the very first phone call, whether they call you, you call them, to the appointments when you're first going to see the home, to the follow-up call, to every follow-up call you you make them, including obviously making them offers and um, touching base back with them, you know, days later, weeks later, months later, even buying the home and reselling it. It's always one of the first things I tell people when they get started is, you know, close your eyes and really put yourself into that, into those shoes of, you work for the small to medium-sized company. You don't make any commission. You're, you know, you're on salary. It's your job to help the people, and you know you don't make the final decision. So, um, 
that happened to me too with my first, uh, my very first deal, my tenant buyer. Uh, when I was per when I was selling the home, you're right. I love how you put that, and I forgot about that feeling until you just mentioned it. When you're just getting started, and it's that feather in your cap of you know this is my yeah. home. You know you you got to do what I say, and it just it feels good for that split second, and then you realize yes. how much power that you give up when you when you, you deal say with the repercussions right. for the for next four or five years. <laughs> you, you regret every second of it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, people that are late on late payments. Hey, you know, can you yes. can you kind of forgive this late payment? Um, hey, can I build a fence around my property? Hey, can you build a fence around my property? Hey, can I do this addition? Hey, I'm, you know, there's so many things that people are just going to ask you, your tenant buyers, your buyers, your sellers, park managers, dealers, investors, repo men, etc. And if you have that other person, you don't have to react so quickly. You don't have to be on top of the game, you know, so much because you can say, well, actually, let me just run that by my partner uh, and I'll get right back to you. So just yes. very blanket. I mean, it, it's 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 good for many different reasons, and it's not just for us. It's not just so we can, you know, have like this imaginary good cop bad cop thing. It's actually to to help the sellers, to help the buyers, because everything has to be win win. You know, in this situation, you're not happy with the tenant buyer how they're consistently walking right. all over you. Um, working with sellers. Sellers have a lot of questions for us. Has this, let me, let me ask you this question. Has it ever harmed your business or affected your business when working with a seller to say, you know, I'm the one in charge. I'm buying the home. I make the decisions. Has that ever affected you or have you ever had any experience with that? Yes, it actually has. We just bought a house and we had negotiated it down. My husband has said it was for him and I and our family. And then we just, we were in the habit of just saying, you know, we're just in the habit of saying we work for a company. Sure. And what ended up happening is this lady was like, no, you know what? Just She was going to do payments with us. She was going to bring down the price. She said, just she would throw little things out there like, you know, you work for a big company. Your company has a lot of money. And so at the end of the day, we bought this house that I'm still trying to sell. Um, we bought it over, you know, what it was probably worth. Um, she kind of waited us out for a month and a half because she was really trying to sell it for higher than she sold it to us, even even what she was asking, um, higher than what she was asking. And we ended up buying it, but now that I look back, it, we over overspent on it, and she was really just, she thought we had tons of money because of this company that we worked for. So that that is one time where it kind of backfired when we said when we worked for a company. It was interesting, and so now we, and I hate doing this, but we kind of try and walk a fine line where we kind of let them know that it's actually for us. Um, and, I mean, sometimes you kind of walk into trouble spots because if you own multiple houses in that park, you know, sometimes word gets around and you're stuck, you know, kind of in a lie. So it's a, it really is just a fine, fine line, but I have actually seen it. When it comes to sellers, we kind of read them, we fill them out. If they're really attached to their house, we prefer to tell them that it's just for us. Um, and because they just, I think it hurts some sellers to try and sell their house just to company. It's just, they think, oh, they're just going to flip this house and sell it. And I think it almost hurts them to sell it. Whereas if they know it's going to a family, it makes them, it seems like it, it just uses the process a little bit better. But that's just been my experience. And I mean, every, every single transaction is different and we learn something different that we, you know, take and we move on and do differently with our next transaction. So and I mean, it might just be my area. It might be the type of people that I deal with. There's a lot of Hispanics, and I mean, it's just 
I guess it's just knowing your audience and and the type of people that you you're dealing with each day. Well said. Knowing your your audience, um, I have rarely, and I'm trying to search my mind if I can think of an example. I'm trying to remember if I ever mentioned that the home is going to be for me, uh, as opposed to working for this com this company. Now, the when you when that you know, when, when that seller said to you, well, you have a lot of money, you know, or you, you, you work for this company, you obviously must have, you know, good amount of money. Um, the normal or the, the instant response I would think of, you know, we are in a business to make money. Uh, we're going to be out of pocket, you know, and go through the normal things that we do. We're going to be out of pocket, the acquisition cost and the holding cost and repairs and labor and material and marketing and resale. And when we, we resell it, we're not just flipping the home. It's going to take us months and months to get all of our money back. So ultimately, you know, we, we are in a business and we're in a business to make money. Now, with that said, we want to go ahead and, you know, here's how we can we can help you. But we're not going to do anything if it doesn't make financial sense to us. And you're not going to do anything that doesn't make financial sense to you. So at this point, you know, it just maybe doesn't sound like the right fit. Um, but it, that's what I would say with the yes. full intent to walk away. Now, it sounds like, and I'm not... Um, I was not in your head or in your shoes at this point, but it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you might have been emotional about this property. Maybe you went back and forth a number of times or, um, or you yes, just... Yes, you're absolutely right. I was just so determined that this property was going to be a great fit because it was a double wide with an extension on it and it was technically four bedrooms, two baths, and people are just melting over these four bedrooms. So, and we, the market was really hot. It was towards the end of it was towards the end of July and things, I had just sold a house in three days and it was smaller and worse condition. And I was like, this thing is going to sell, you know, just so fast and I'm going to get so much money for it. It's just going to work out perfectly. That was my mindset. It took her a whole month to sell it to us. And now that I look back and I've talked to different people in the neighborhood, it was not that she was really taking that long to sell it. She was just feeling out other people and see if she could get more money for it. Cause I think we jumped on it so quickly. She probably thought she was selling it for too low. And really, the reality was she was selling it way too high because now nobody, nobody can move it. I can't give it away for free. But no, actually, I just got a deposit for it today, thank God. But it's been two months. <laughs> you are too it's funny. It's ridiculous. Right. Well, too I actually, I bought it for 7000 and I'm God willing, everything goes through. I'll actually sell it for 9000 And I had another $1,000 deposit for it that fell through. But it's been a really long headache process. Like, I, I just can't get commitment on it. And this guy just happened to come through and buy it. But if it wasn't for him, I don't know what I would do. So he bought it for cash or no? He's going to buy it cash, yeah. So Excellent. I'm, I'm going to end up making, you know, two, two and a half, two grand or so, which is, I, I'm happy. Like, if I'm just happy to get rid of it. Okay. Now, with that one, we're kind of set, we're kind of segueing off topic here, but let's talk about that. So, what was sure. the where was the problem in the chain of selling? So, you marketed the home for the price and terms. People were people calling you from the from the ads that you that you had out there. Like the were they yes okay were they after you explained the home were they you know after you talked to them over the phone did they go to the home and then what did they think about it? What kind of feedback did you hear? Um, it was too old, too outdated. What I consider the third and the fourth bedrooms, the additions, really just they needed drywall, they needed paint, they needed flooring. So I guess I was seeing the potential and the buyers weren't. I needed to really set it up for them. And they just thought it was just 
outdated and just they all said it needs a lot of work. And I'm sitting here thinking, this house is 1,500 square feet. What are you talking about? It's perfect. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, I guess, you know, I and the truth is that I could have sold it for much lower, um, but I bought it for so high. I jumped on it so quickly. I didn't negotiate. I bought it too high that it would have taken me as it is. It would have taken me a year and a half with the, the terms that I had set it at originally if I dropped it anymore, it would take me two or three years to make my money back, and I was just no way. I didn't want to go there. Of course, no way. What now? The seven thousand so, that you had into it was that purely the acquisition cost, or you had like a month or yes, two? Yes, it cost me seven thousand dollars to buy it plus oh. three hundred and sixty-five dollar lot rent. So I'm in it for almost eight grand at this point. Now that was a three bedroom, you said, or four? It's it's the original part is a two bedroom, two bath. Okay. And they added what could be used as two other bedrooms. They're huge bedrooms, which I don't understand why any buyer doesn't like it because I think it's the greatest thing in the world. But apparently, they don't see the potential. Now, so. in hindsight, what would you – and this is a great lesson. But in hindsight, what would you have paid for that home, knowing everything that you know now? I would have paid no more than 5300 for it. Okay. I would have known – I. I, you're right. I was absolutely emotionally attached to it because the market was hot at the time. She waited a month and it just dropped off the face of the earth. It's like I couldn't get a phone call on these houses all of a sudden. So in hindsight, had I known what I know now, I would have just let said, you know what? I'm just going to walk away. If you're not going to drop the price, price, that's fine. Because obviously, had I known that all these other people were looking at it and were still not buying it for $7,000 cash, but there's no way I could sell it for the price I wanted to. But I didn't know that this is what was going on. So knowing that, had I walked away, she would have most definitely dropped the price because we were the only for sure people with cash in hand. But like they say, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I'll learn my lesson for the next time. Now, that that brings up a good point because a lot of folks listening who've never purchased a mobile home would think that $7,000 for a four-bedroom mobile home is a good deal. Or maybe if they were, you know, the seller's asking... 14 and they talk them down to seven. Oh, this must be a great deal. But you just saw, you know, you're putting yourself into their shoes. Um, every dollar that you spend of that 7,000 plus the lot rent, you're going to have to make that back before you make any profit. And we do bring such a huge value. Even if you gave n nothing to the seller, you gave no physical money to the seller. Let's talk about what you do bring to the table. Well, they're trying to sell it. They're trying to move on with their lives. So you're, you're being approved at the park. You can definitely be approved at the park. You can definitely close and pay for lot rent next month. You'll pay for taxes moving forward. Uh, you'll do all the maintenance to the home. You'll take it as is. And you're present. You're here. So all of those things, you know, we didn't, we didn't talk about money because that's just one part of the value. So sure. this, this woman did exactly what she was supposed to do. She's a seller. She wants the most money she can get, the shortest yeah. period of time. And ultimately, you know, a couple things would have happened. Either she could have sold it to somebody else. I mean, maybe she would have got 10000 Who knows? Good for her. But ultimately, yes, you need to stick firm to your company's offers, to your, you know, valid, firm, uh, flexible, you know, win-win, well, semi-flexible offers. So this this whole podcast kind of changed from acting like a company. Sorry. Um, no, no, not <laughs> at all. I, mean, I think it went in a very good direction. And all of this kind of comes together because you won't be in business long if 
I, I don't want to say that if you're too trusting of people or if you're too, like, if you let them too you know, much into your circle. I know I've been yeah. just stupid sometimes where I, I get too buddy buddy with some tenants or with some bot, with some buyers or sellers. And it's, if you're able to keep that, you still work for a company, but you're buddy buddy, that's one thing. You know, company is one thing. Listen, we, me and you can be friends all day long. We can go and have a beer, but as far as numbers go or money goes, like that's, we can't talk about it. That's my, that's my boss. That's my partner. So it's just right. very important um, to just have that mindset with you uh, moving forward. I will, Here's what I would say yes. to the people who are listening Please. is don't get too cocky, which is what I did. Ooh. And don't okay. not ask John, which is what I should have done. I should have asked you and I actually should have listened to my husband because he actually told me it was too expensive. Now he tells me, which I don't remember him saying this, but it's probably because I was too cocky. Um, but I should have listened to him and I should have also called you and said, what do you think about this? So that somebody could have talked me down because if you're jumping too quickly on something, usually it's going to backfire. So that would be my advice is remember that you are still part of something bigger than yourself and still go ask your mentor or your partner. And, you know, if, if you're too, if you're jumping too quickly at something, it could cost you in the long run. So that would be my advice. (laughs) You really like something or you think it's really going to, you know, you still want to buy it right because at the end of the day, even if it's as nice as you think it is, it can take you two or three years to make up your money for it. And that was my mistake there. And that'll, I mean, that right there is not, yes, you can do a skinny deal, make your money back in three years, but with a mobile and a park, we're looking to make it back in 10 months max, six months or less, hopefully. Um, I would like to have one caveat that when we talk to park managers, most park managers won't want to they would rather deal with just you, Damaris, you and your husband. Yeah. But they probably don't want to deal with like this big company with this vague, you know, anonymity boss that they might not ever talk to, or like they want to. They're more likely to throw a deal, you know, to, to you, to the little, to the little guy, than this big yes. company. So that's the only. You're absolutely right. I do the same thing, and you know, sometimes I tell them, look. I just told this tenant that we're actually, or this uh, seller that we're buying it for me and my family, and it's not actually, you know, that it's not to just keep it under wraps. And they're usually pretty good at, like, <laughs> keeping it, you know, they're, they're really understanding. But sometimes it helps. I don't, and I don't know, every, every geographic area is different. But then seeing you with your family and your kids, sometimes it just makes all the world of a difference because they know that it's not just going to somebody who, you know, some coffee investor and they will. They're more willing to throw deals at you to you that you're a hum, real human being as opposed to this huge corporate, you know, company with tons of money. So that's, I mean, that's a, that's another plus side to saying that you work for yourself when it comes to park managers. When it comes to park managers, absolutely. I love that park you're bringing managers. the kids in there, and I mean that is that's oh yeah, wonderful. they go everywhere with us. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Heck yeah! For more than what I mean, not only does it help your bottom line, but also I mean, just how amazing is that for your kids to see, you know, this alternative form of creating exactly. value and helping people. Ultimately, my my goal is to build this empire that they can eventually take over. So they, I'm training them young. Heck yeah! Yes. Amazing. My gosh. I mean, I, I got started when I was late teens, but whew, imagine if I got started when I was five years old. Two years old. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much again for being here. I would love to get you back in for another podcast soon, if possible. 
I would love to be there for you. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dame Maurice. The ideas and advice given in today's episode are for entertainment purposes only. If you have future ideas or questions for upcoming episodes, please email us at support at mobilehomeinvesting.net. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, the biggest compliment you can give is to like and share this podcast with your friends. 